Simon, uh, talk again. How now, brown cow? Excellent. That's good. A- Antoine, give us give us a little bit. Allons enfants de la patrie. Hello and welcome to A Vague Idea. This is a comedy game show podcast hosted by me, Nate Regolia. Each week I subject my guests to a list of topics to find out if they have a vague idea. With me as always is not Shannon again. Sorry guys, uh, it, we're, we're in that holiday recording season. Everybody talks about it. It's between Boxing Day and New Year's Eve. Uh, and Shannon's busy. So instead, what we have are two very exciting very international guests. Okay, we have my dear friend, my former coworker, my forever, I don't know, uh, creator pal. Uh, there's a lot of things. Editor of my books, uh, the creative director of Space Boy Books, among numerous other things, Antoine Velo from France. Antoine, welcome to the show. Merci, bonjour. Merci, bienvenue. <laughs> Thanks, man. Comment ça va? I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited that you're here, too, because, uh, yeah, you live in Paris now, uh, so it's very, you know, it's an honor to have you here for this uh, for this little holiday trip you've got yeah. and, and catch you while you're in town. I know. I've been dying to do this for so long. Well, hell yeah. Welcome to the program. All right. Uh, we also have uh, another person who who's, uh, gosh, the resume is very similar, uh, creator, very fun international person. Uh <laughs> You've been total very... corporate sellout. Yeah, yes, total corporate sellout. <laughs> Unlike the two gentlemen that I'm joined this afternoon, um, I'm the only one here who is completely sold out to the man. Well, you, you, in fairness, you're you're mostly just sold out to big like lawn care, which is a great thing at this point. Well, you're, you're trying to make the world a better yeah. place. Yeah, and I'm I think that's valid. I'm sold out to my children, but. Ah, oh, yeah. It. Oh, sure. I mean, hey, we should all be sold out to our children if we have them. <laughs> and if not, we should be sold out to other people's children because they're the fucking future. <laughs> so <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. So Simon Hill from merry old England. How are you? Originally. Thank you very much. Originally. I'm, well, yeah, I'm honored to be here. here. <laughs> yes. I've been in the States for 20 years. So um, not so uh, not so new to the, to the country as I used to be. Um, I'm waiting for my... For my accent to catch up. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I sure hope that you lose that just bothersome British yeah. patois that you have. Well, I, so I you now, can just get I the now have the transatlantic thing where I am a pariah to all my old friends and family back in England. I sound like an American, and I still sound like a Brit a lot of the time to to, to Americans. And so I'm. Oh, to me, yeah. you've always sounded yes. very British, yeah. and and I so. I will admit that there have been times, at least when we first started to get to know each other, where I was kind of playing catch-up to figure oh wait what did he say because it's that it's just that little difference uh but Antoine this is something that you've also talked about where uh in returning to France and and working in the corporate world you're not quite French enough because you're too American now for having been here because you you were here uh from when you were 18 until three years ago yeah until about four years ago yeah so 23 years in the U.S. for me and uh, yeah, it's exactly that. I, I totally played the French card while I was here. I, Did it make I, you feel very special, right? You, it was part of your special identity. You can be short and fat and ugly, but if you have a French accent in this country, you are fantastically attractive. <laughs> what are you saying about Antoine? <laughs> well, I'm not saying Antoine's any of those things. I'm just saying you could be. And Exactly. And the well, problem is that I didn't I, have the accent because well. I had the short, fat, and ugly down. Pat. <laughs> 
But unfortunately, I had this this accent I picked up when I was eight years old in Singapore, watching the Fall Guy, Night Ride, and Love Boat on TV. Oh yeah. Oh, so my that. David Hasselhoff thing. Um, but um, yeah, so well, I, I am short and, and getting fatter. But I have been told that um, at least when doing corporate sales, that my accent is worth two inches of height. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I did. I, there's authority I'm, in an English accent, no matter what. That's the thing. <laughs> Yeah. Someone believes you have their best interest. By the way, we, we can't really call it an English <laughs> accent because this is only the accent of one or two percent of the population. That's fair. Uh, where, where specifically? Well, m- more of a m- more more of an education than a than a place. Oh, okay. So it's okay. more like um, boarding school, Oxford and Cambridge. Ah, I you played know. Hamlet in yes. Cambridge. So it's a it's a it's a product of a class education and not really the product of a place. So, so would you say that your accent is is constantly the act of flexing on other people's accents? Then, like you're basically yeah, so like I'm better I, than you. If just I could by remember, talking. If, I, if I could remember the uh, My Fair Lady song with Rex, Harrigan, Rex, Rex Harrison sings, that goes something like, um, "Whenever an Englishman opens his mouth, he makes another Englishman despise him." <laughs> All right, very good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think we have something like that here in the in the states, but I don't think as as much. I feel like uh, I feel like there, there's really only the other end where some people have negative views of of like southern accents, maybe. maybe. Which is uh, I have noticed that, and I find that ironic because I find southern accents to be very beautiful. And I mean, maybe the really really um, extreme end oh, is sure. uh, is difficult to listen to, but by and large, I I, I find the the southern accent to be. Um, rather attractive in both men and women. Oh yeah, I've I've many times in my life been envious of other people for having grown up in other places because uh, having grown up here in in Colorado, I have a news anchor's American accent. I enunciate. I have a flat way of saying pretty much everything. There's no flow or lilt or any. I mean, granted, there is some sort of accent for sure. I have to say this: having listened to the podcast from since the start, you do have the quite unique and 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 specific the Nate Regolia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my verbal tics yeah. are uh, <laughs> a bane to the editing process of this show. <laughs> the amount of time I spend cutting out the last uh, seven he hees of every laugh that I let out because it's just this very it's a really rhythmic cackle that i have but i do the same thing every time and i also i have the yeah no and the no yeah and the yeah yeah and the uh-huh i was hearing <laughs> that great. recently from a, a belgian friend at work how they have this expression that is um uh no maybe or no perhaps which is a way of saying oh fuck yeah totally right so like no perhaps um, that's, that's a, that is know. confusing. <laughs> uh, non peut-être, especially with a nice big Belgian accent behind it. Uh, non peut-être. Which um, mm. yeah. is uh, yeah. So I was like, that's the first time I hear uh, uh, you know hypothetical negative used as a strong positive. That's... Yeah, hmm. you're you're opting in yeah. by uh, enthusiastically opting out. Yeah. Right. Well, by saying that you know, if I had a no, that would be very optional. <laughs> it sounds not like Bill and Ted's uh, double or triple not. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All American cultural references be pre-92 or post-2015. <laughs> right my head. And, a lo- and a bunch in between as well. Uh, something, something, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, no maybe? Engage. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying no maybe when I'm excited about something. <laughs> Do you want to go to this show? No maybe? <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, hey. 
So, guys, we're going to do an episode with the theme of international, because uh, at this table, as we were joking earlier, we have a very diverse international crowd for, say, 19... Anywhere between <laughs> anywhere between the late 1800s and the mid-1900s, because we have three white men from... Colonial, because we have a colonic, three colonial, colonial uh, yes. gathering. Three colonial white men sitting at the That's table. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, since the, the theme will be international, you are both the special guests, so you have to decide which one of you is going first, and uh, that's really kind of however you want to do that. So, uh, I'd have to say by, by historical um, precedence of empire, uh, it would be me, but then by, by, by success of empire, it would be, uh, since we're colonial here, you know, we kind of have to, to measure that way. <laughs> You know, yes. Let's take all of our African countries out and right. measure them on the table. <laughs> I'd have to say Simon has to go first. All right, it, it just has to be that way. Okay, Simon, you get to go first, so you need to pick one through ten. Oh, I have to pick a number one through ten. Yeah, five. Number five. All right, we're gonna play Thunderdome just to start this thing off. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Fantastic. And this Thunderdome is meant to resolve uh, the, you know still standing conflict of the hundred years war so i want to find i want to know from each of you <laughs> who wins too soon too soon <laughs> who wins in a battle to the death between england and france simon what do you think make your case <laughs> oh my god i'm not prepared for this so i do not know the answer to that question off the top of my head um uh well obviously the British would win. We're talking about a real fight here. Like we're talking about. Oh yeah, this like is a, this is the idea the, that the the we two nations years. enter the Thunderdome. Okay, two nations enter, one nation leaves. Well, you know, it's a difficult question. Um, anyway, no one is as backstabbing as the British, so mm. um, I'm pretty sure, and no one is polite as the British. So I'm pretty sure the British could insinuate themselves into the French team and then stab them in the back. Uh, while they were sleeping, while pretend while while pretending to be uh, their, their friends, and um, kind and of then, a sorry, yes. sorry, sorry yes, stab yes. sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, so I, I I'm, I'm going to say that for that reason, um, the British will win. Okay, okay. So just out of pure sort of polite cunning, the British yes, will win. Polite backstabbing cunning, <laughs> which we have, uh, mm -hmm. which we have used to great effect to con and. Uh, Beguile and then viciously conquer people while pretending to seem very genteel and polite. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a very good case. Antoine, who well, who wins? Who wins in this Thunderdome? I mean, well, you're you're allowed to say that England would win if you want. I don't know that your pride nor the the nation of France would allow it. You the know, Republic. You know me so little. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Uh, clearly, obviously, France would come in with, with a direct numerical advantage. Just that there's, there's more people there. Um, and we would just come in with a lot more, um, uh, how would I say this, a lot more passion and gusto and definitely screaming a lot louder, uh, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, a real attitude of, of, of conquest and fight there. Um, we would have the oldest, we'd have much older generals than you, so clearly better um <laughs> because age is all that matters here and um you know and we'd bring in our, our, our culture which is superior we would have stinkier cheese um you know we would be coming in there and then as we're being stabbed in the back we would protest again very very loudly uh we we certainly would win the uh being heard um to be uh to be winners and being heard to be uh 
um, you know, fighters and so on. Now, uh, of course, England would win. That's what England does, and that's not something the French do. Um, you know, but we would let's say we, we would put up a much bigger show of it. There would be there would be a musical written about oh the loss by France to England in the most boisterous our, and our outrage would be poetic. <laughs> And uh, and re- you know resounding and uh, yeah a resounding outrage mm. is definitely what we would have. Well, they could have a victory. We'd have the outrage. So. Great. Just like hundred years war all over again. Yeah. You know we totally won that one on uh, on on points of being um, being assholes about it. You do, you beat us in ten sixty six. So maybe there's the Battle of Hastings. That well, really exactly. That really, it's just old French. That's right. This is all just, the time. This is just a bunch of old French bastards who you know went went in a place with bad food. That's interesting, well, right? Because yeah. that's okay. If the, if the food is so bad, how come all of the names for the food are French words like mouton for mutton, exactly, and uh, beef for cow? Exactly. They're, oh, yeah. they're trying to make it sound better by calling it French names, <laughs> but they don't know how to cook it. You know, that's what you, that's what you get when you leave the land of butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's just it's mostly just salt and and brains, I think, right? Yeah, and, and so uh, no. you don't have anything good to eat, so you have to, you know. Make do with paltry replacements for good food, like conquering the world, and you know. <laughs> well, you silly you. Stuff like that. I, I think I think the 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 truth yeah. is, you go and you conquer countries with great food, and you get things like chicken tikka masala out of exactly. that, which is uh, like, wow, true. this is delicious. Well, actually, you know that, and was, it's because of imperialism. That was actually invented by the by the British, or it's probably invented by the by the Indians to appease the British. But it's not actually a dish that you can really find in India. I think it's made up. Yeah, yeah, I think I've heard that. Uh, but yeah, I assume yeah. that it, it exists solely because it, it was like, well, we've got to do something to get these guys to shut up. Yeah, yep. <laughs> just like all, all dishes with French in them in the U.S. Those are all uh, made up to please up the Americans. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, great job. You guys both get three points for your selections on the Thunderdome. I think it's clear England would win, uh, but you know, yeah, and I'm sure England will burn one of our points at the stake, but. That's <laughs> <laughs> and Fr- France will have a powerful Pyrrhic victory. Exactly. Um, so, Antoine, I wanted to ask you uh, real quick, just because it's uh, you were talking about outrage and voices uh, yes. in France, and there's there's some major protests going on in in Paris right now, and I think across across the country, yeah, uh, about the pension uh, cuts that Macron has proposed or changes anyway. Um, oh, right, that's the excuse. Yeah. Okay. What What do you think? Talk about it for a minute. Uh, well, you know, the, so the French, you know, the Americans have football, the British have cricket, and we have strikes. Great. Yeah, we have a national sport, um, and we love to play it. So when I was in uh, when I was in college in Who'd France, who'd you play it against? Huh? Who'd you play it against? Yeah, then don't like two sides. The rich, uh, the fucking rich, of course. Fuck them. Yeah. They should all die and give us their money. <laughs> all those guys that paid to rebuild Notre Dame's roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rich, you know, they're just they're all evil. Um, that's that's the nice thing about a, um, a a socialist country is we have a clear understanding that rich people are, are just fundamentally evil. <sighs> um, but All <yeah>. right. <laughs> Take that, America. Yeah, well, hey, you know, a lot of us are on that page, but not enough How easy is it, is it to buy off a politician in France? Um, well, politicians are not exactly like politicians. Uh, French politicians are a different thing. Again, for us, politics is celebrity. Uh, you know, striking is the national sport, and the celebrities are politicians. So, um, you know, they're literally you'll have magazine articles about politicians taking vacationing on the beach, showing mm-hmm. pictures of them in bikinis, and you're like, why? 
why. Um, but that's uh, you know that's that's national pastime is politics as celebrity. You can't so, take pictures of Audrey Tuteau all the time. How much can you buy a politician? Uh, you know, you're also you're always politician for life. You know, in France, mm. the funny thing for me coming back to France 23 years later is I turned on the TV and I saw all the same people on TV, <laughs> just white hair. <laughs> some of them were already old when I left. <laughs> and some of them died within a week of me arriving, but it seemed like they're all hung on. You know, so, so you just caught like the last moments of uh, of Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, where he he's drank from the wrong cup of Christ, and his head just sort of melts and he ages very quickly, and that's the oh, all of France. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's still the same guy. He's all just... of France is the Irishman. It's just really, really old people pretending they still have it. <laughs> unbearably, I don't think it's unbearably long, though. I think France is, is nice. It has a good pace. It's very good pacing in we France. Just, we love our geezers. Though, in fairness, the Irishman is all about people sitting and eating for most of the, for most of almost four hours. So that that is very French. It's about makeup skills, I guess. It's like YouTube. But yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> buying a politician uh, in France, uh, I don't know, actually, how easy it is. I mean... There's pretty good corruption, but uh, once you're a politician in France, you're always a politician in France. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much scandal or corruption, you know, you're 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 a Kardashian or something. There's nothing. Wrong do you uh, do you have to be French born to be a politician in France, or can it, can anybody apply? Well, Just like hypothetically, if I were to want to run for oh, office you... in France, is that something that could happen? No, no one. No. Do you have to go to the okay. Ecole Normale Supérieure still to be a politician, or whatever uh, the equivalent is? I can't remember. Well, Normale Supérieure is no, not good enough. No, you have yeah. to go to uh, to the Ecole Nationale d'Administration, to the ENA, which has uh, still uh, only about sixty people per year come out of the ENA, and uh, yeah, they're highly selective, um, and everybody hates the ENA and you know has horrible jokes about them. Uh, oh, I so it's like it's like uh, Simon's accent. Let me give you a good. <laughs> I have, a, I have a good joke about Enoch, and I need to tell it, and I'll tell you why after. Okay. So uh, this 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 uh, this guy is this Enoch is is you know working really hard in politics somehow, and uh, you know very stressed. And his um his uh, doctor tells him you need to take a few weeks off because you're too stressed out. You know you need to relax. Uh, so go to the country or something. He's like, well, I have a actually I have a cousin in the country. I'll, I'll go to his farm. So he goes to his cousin's farm and. Um, and, uh, you know, he's resting there for a few days. And after a few days, he's a little restless. And he's telling his cousin, hey, why, let, let me help around the farm. Let me do something. His cousin's like, okay, sure, fine, here. Uh, we'll, we'll give you something simple to do here. There's this field here. There's this, this pile of manure. Here's this shovel. Just, mm-hmm. you know, just, just start spreading some manure on the field. Um, you know, it's easy job. Um, you know, it's fine. I'll, I'll come back this evening and see how you're doing. And he comes back in that evening. And, and his field has turned into a perfect brown mirror. Uh, the manure is just spread <laughs> spread in such a perfect way that you could literally see the sky reflecting in it. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. He's never wow. seen anything like that. He's like, wow, you, you, you spread the fuck out of that manure. Um, so, sure. The next day he's like, okay, I have something a little more a little more interesting for you. But, you know, uh, today here, here's this pile of apples. And uh, just, you know, put the ones that are a little, you know, a little uh, – a little uh, dirty, a little rotten or something mm-hmm. like that. On, on the right, we'll make a pile for cider. And, and the ones that look good, we'll sell at the market. Put them on the left. I'll come back this evening and see how you're doing. It was by in the evening, and he sees, uh, he sees his, uh, his cousin just sitting in front of the pile of apples, holding one apple in his right hand, one apple in his left hand, just looking right, looking left, looking right, looking left. He's like, what's going on, man? Yesterday with the manure, you did a great job. And, and today, well, you didn't do anything. He's like, well, you know, for us, for us people from Ina. <laughs> When it's about spreading bullshit around, we're really, really good. But making decisions. <laughs> so. Very and good. I love that joke because my dad went to Ina. Oh, oh, hey. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, I, I love to tell that joke whenever he'd get a little uh, huffy at me. <laughs> Just put 
put your dad in his place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect Aww. brown mirror. I, I imagine that sounds great in French. Ah, oui. Can you say perfect brown mirror in French? Un miroir brun parfait. <laughs> <laughs> Un grand miroir just, réfléchissant. It just seems like the English, but in the wrong order. Un grand yeah. miroir de merde. It's, uh, yeah, I think because it's miroir, and then, uh, uh, well, is, is, wait, is marron brown also? Marron? Brun? Marron is is brown, yes. Okay. But you can also say brown when you mean oh, you like can a say brown. brown-haired person. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah like a brunette. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I've been doing Duolingo. This is... <laughs> got a wicked streak going, too. Like 330 days Whoa. of French. Woohoo! They sent me an email and said, I learned 10,000 words this year. That's pretty good. Nice. I think I did. Je pense... <laughs> Yeah, anyway, let's go ahead and continue. Uh, you, so you guys both got three points. And Antoine, it's your turn to choose one through nine. Uh, one, please. Number one. Well, Antoine, do you have a vague idea about IHOP? The International House of Pancakes. Yes, very good, very good. I have only a vague idea about it. Because okay. Because even though I spent 23 years in the U.S., I managed to stay to keep away from the International House of Pancakes. It's Actually, usually a good I, idea. I think I went there once, uh, holding my nose as every French person should. Um, <laughs> and not at the pancakes part, although, honestly, pancakes, from a country that invented crepe, the pancake is a horrible ab- abomination. It's um, very dense. and Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, it's like German pastry. Hock um, you know. <laughs> 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 tongue, Antoine. <laughs> Um, But no, it was not because of the pancake It was because of the international in the name That was just supremely offended You mean because the internationalism is just uh, pouring different kinds of uh, confiture on stuff It's just all all different jams And saying like, oh, these are Belgian waffles Because they are There's nothing international about it, it's true It's like the World Series of baseball (laughs) Yeah yeah. Well, hey, that's the thing that America does well, is saying that the whole planet embraces the thing we're doing. <laughs> Unless it's collegiate sports, and then we say it's a national championship. But we can't. America plays the world in every movie, especially any disaster movies. Oh, the yeah. world is always played by America. It's just, yeah. I've come to accept it. I think that's why uh, there's a film called uh, The Day After... T- Wait, no, not the, not the Day After Tomorrow. It was uh, Live, Die, Repeat. I can't remember what the uh, Edge of Tomorrow is what it's called. It had Tom Cruise in it. It's a science fiction movie where he it's basically a video game. He he dies and keeps being resurrected within this conflict Yeah. as he as he relearns everything. But it all takes place in France. And they get to Paris and they get to the Louvre. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just it's compelling to see other parts of the world presented because it's pretty much all just New York or L.A. here. Right, I mean that's really the only part of Vancouver. America that matters. Yeah, oh well, yeah, Vancouver. If it's most of television, <laughs> <laughs> every episode of the X Files takes place somewhere in in Vancouver or you know northern Washington. Uh, Simon, do you have anything to add about IHOP? Now I I have to second everything that Antoine said, and I've only been there <laughs> once too, and it was twenty years ago or I know nineteen years ago, so I barely remember it. And I have similarly eschewed IHOP. Um, as an abomination. I've always hated American pancakes. I love crepes. And, mm-hmm. Or in Britain, pancakes are crepes. It takes a while to figure that out. But yeah. um, Well, because of yes. 1066. But I've never really understood <laughs> never really understood the American pancake at all. It just seems like a, you know, a, a just a slab of cake. Yeah. Yeah, that's really uh, what it is. It's an excuse to put butter and yeah. sugar on stuff and call it breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I don't have anything clever to say about IHOP other than I, I don't like it. 
but um, I would say in the past I hated it, and now I just just don't go there because it's not my preference. All right. Simon, thank you. I don't think there's a better way to put down IHOP than to <laughs> use it in a sentence you, that contains the word eschewed. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the perfect comeback at IHOP. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you guys know what IHOP is, and so do you listeners. Um, what I will say is I've been to, I think I've been to IHOP probably less than 10 times in my entire life. Uh, granted, I spent a lot of time in village inns, which are basically IHOPs. Mm. They're just slightly different. There's also Denny's and all these other chains that do the same thing. Um, but you know, when you're when you're a disaffected middle schooler or high schooler here, it's a great place to go and sit and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and maybe eat a slice of pie, and then we'll kick you out for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> you're making me feel really bad for having previously hated IHOP because I also understand the village inn better. I've been there more times. I know more uh, Americans who, whose high school life is very much oriented around hanging out the village in. So, oh yeah. Um, when you put the two together, I can see that there is some nostalgia there. That it's just something I don't have any access to, and I feel like I'm failing at this question because oh no, I, I just don't have I just don't have that you know je ne sais quoi. But blah. at least the village inn is not <laughs> trying to bullshit you into thinking it's international. I mean, it's, it's true. just called as a village inn. You know? I mean, in like, fairness, it's not an inn at all. Yeah. <laughs> you can try to book a room. They will laugh at you. Uh, right. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is w- what this is, is you guys have, you guys have hit on something that, that is basically the, the prob- one of the main problems with America, at, at least right now, and, you know, throughout my uh, growing up, is that... Depending on where you live, maybe the only place that you can go to spend time mm. is a shitty, like, third-rate breakfast joint that just happens to be open 24 hours a day and just happens to not care if a bunch of teenagers sit there and maybe order a stack of pancakes or whatever and just bullshit each other for a while because we don't have a, a cool cultural hangouts. We because don't have you spots. Don't, because was... you don't let your kids drink. Yeah, I mean, that that's too. what's well, wonderful about France and England. We let our kids drink and get drunk. And get I don't think that's true very much. Well, uh, I have to say, the, when you put it that way, Nate, IHOP and the religion sounds fucking fantastic. Because mm. I didn't have anywhere to hang out as a kid, really. It's so, kind of a safe space. Yeah. I will give yeah, it that. It's, yeah. it, is a, it is a good gathering place. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. I uh, used to just... You know, go to the local. If during the holidays, I would just go to the, go to the, the local cemetery and sit behind a particularly attractive tombstone with my book and notebook, and I would write poems and read books. And how how and then, Shellian of you? I know. Um, and 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 I think if I had the option of hanging out at IHOP with my friends at the age of sixteen, I would have much preferred it. All right. Mm. Well, there we go. Well, we'll end that on a. Somewhat somber note. Uh, Antoine, you get one one and a half points, and Simon one point. And Simon, we're back to you. One through eight. Uh, I'm supposed to remember the numbers that we've already picked. So number one, uh, I'm accordion down. So yeah, okay. you're you're good. Okay, good. number one. Oh, so number one. Yeah. Do you have a vague idea about the International Space Station? I have a vague idea about it. All right. Tell us what you know. Uh, the International Space Station is a consortium of nation states who work together to build this thing that flies overhead every now and again. You can see it in any number of apps. Um, I 
I can't think of anything funny to say about it. I, I know the the Russians and the Chinese and the, the Americans and mm-hmm. Europe, because Europe as a space agency is like it's all one thing, right? I actually, I don't even think Britain has a separate space agency other than yeah. The are, they Brex- are they brexiting from the that's European a very good space question. agency? Do you think they'll just saw off a wing and just that part will be, be like separated? That, that's ours. <laughs> I think they'll just live in the American wing as they've always wanted to. (laughs) That's right. This will be step one in becoming the 51st state. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) England, America light. Uh, I mean, America senior. Let's be fair. All right. (laughs) Kind of. America's grandpa. More distinguished. (laughs) Dresses better. I know that... (laughs) Go ahead. I know that... um, it is gradually becoming privatized. I, I know that SpaceX, Elon Musk company, now does most of the replenishment of supplies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what ultimate purpose the International Space Station serves. I don't know what experiments have to be done in zero G. Um, so if you told me the whole thing was just a massive kind of uh, uh, boondoggle, kind of an international boondoggle, then uh, I'd believe you. On the other hand, it's kind of cool that people try to live in space and 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 uh, push the frontiers of where humans can live. And it seems neat that it's lots of countries that seem otherwise hate each other, kind of seem magically to be able to work together in order to accomplish this ex- external goal. Well, in fairness, it's, scientists yeah. can usually get along it's because true. they get that it's all bullshit, yes. and we have to just recognize fact. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So, Antoine. What can you add about the International Space Station? Um, I think Simon hit the nail on the head, yeah. Um, it, nobody really knows why the fuck we have one, but uh, but everybody was delighted we have an International Space Station if it allows a Canadian to uh, do a Bowie cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, know, that, yes. I think that was, if that wasn't the initial purpose, then that actually was the, uh, the outcome uh, that everybody can agree is a great thing. Because uh, that's the first time I think we were inspired by space since... Uh, Neil Armstrong put his foot on the moon, and Buzz yeah, Aldrin I mean, since uh, his pants. since the Challenger yeah. and and the uh, was that Discovery was the other one that blew up. Since uh, the last two shuttle disasters in this country, anyway. Oh, that's an American uh, thing. We're, yeah, we're, sorry. No, I, <laughs> keep. You know, I'm not thinking America here. We're talking <laughs> international. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Challenger and Discovery, the nice thing is whenever the Americans fuck up, that's just an American thing the rest of the world doesn't care about. And whenever you succeed, then it's a human endeavor and success. And it's wonderful. We did this together. Yeah. Humanity walked on the moon and Americans blew up some shuttles. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. Uh, oh, no. Um, how like the boys to whoop it up for such a phallic triumph. Yes. W.H. Orton. Uh-huh. Ooh, there you go. That's some England for you right there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the International Space Station is a space station uh, in low Earth orbit. It is a joint venture of NASA, which is the United States, Roscosmos in Russia, uh, JAXA, J-A-X-A, Japan, the ESA, the European Space Agency, and the CSA, the Canadian Space Agency. Um, it, the ownership is established by intergovernmental treaties and agreements, so I can't wait until we start a trade war with the International Space Station. Mm. Trump 2020. Ugh. Uh, yeah, it's it's basically just for biology, physics, uh, astronomy, meteorology, and other field of science experiments. 
however, this is something that I find interesting that I did not know about until researching this, but the station is divided into two sections. There is a Russian side and there is a U.S. side. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. I find how interesting how somehow, no matter how far from the Cold War we claim to have been, I know that we're back in it now and it doesn't matter, but um, yeah. There's I still... want to know which side the other countries live in. Yeah, I, I would be interested to know. Um, and it does it does not say here. Uh, however, you know, Roscosmos has has uh, endorsed continuing to operate the uh, the ISS through 2024. Um, so they're going to add some new uh, Russian space station elements, but they're also creating their own space station. And uh, yeah, they think uh, as of December of 2018 that it will continue to operate until 2030. So we'll have that guy up there until it falls into the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> killing a bunch of fish. If there are any fish left, climate change, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> good job, guys. Very good. Let's see. We're going to give Simon uh, give Simon two very spacey points, and Antoine, you're going to get a point as well. And Antoine, we're back to you. All right. One through seven. Uh, lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. Do you have a vague idea? about The Continental from Saturday Night Live. The Continental from the Continental. Saturday Night Live. I have not a clue about that. Okay. Is this pre-1992? Um, <laughs> I th- Maybe parts of it, but it definitely has been post-1992 as well. Damn. The thing is, is if you haven't watched Saturday Night Live... I haven't watched it uh, since 1992. Uh, <laughs> All right. So maybe you caught the the sketch because <laughs> what I will give you is that this is a specific recurring sketch on Saturday Night Live called the Continental. If you if there's anything you know about it, great. If not, I will tell you about it and then uh, we'll put this to bed. Uh, Simon, I know absolutely nothing about it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Continental is a recurring sketch that features Christopher Walken. Uh, it's a parody of the Renzo Cezana. Uh, a series, The Continental, that was on CBS from 1952-1953. It used a subjective camera. Cezanne spoke directly to women in the viewing audience. And the uh, basically it's just he's sort of a, uh, a, a non-countried European cipher sort of character. He's a guy where he's got a smoking jacket, he has the pencil mustache, his mm. hair is slicked back, he always has wine, he's always offering the women champagne. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... And the joke on the SNL sketch is that the cameraman is always the person who's right in Christopher Walken's face. So the cameraman often is wearing like a long white or pink glove. Um, so you you occasionally <laughs> see this very thick, meaty man hand in a lady's glove kind of reach out because Christopher Walken will kiss it. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it, not he's basically just a suave ladies man who can't do or say anything to keep women from leaving. And that's pretty much what every sketch is. is he's trying Pepe, to con- It's Pepilla Pew. Yeah. yeah. He's just trying to convince a, a woman to stay with him and she always runs out at the end. Um, yeah. And, that, and that's about it. it it's just yeah, it's, a it's charming, a, weird just concept. Like the, just like the song, It's Cold Outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite a rapey song. It is. Yeah. It is. Although it's, it's interesting because you... you you read more about it, and you find that, like, oh, maybe this is like uh, this is like Red Scare era code, like Hollywood uh, musical code. Mm. That a lot of these things that they're saying is is trying to say, like, hey, we're we're cool, we're communists, socialists together, and whatever. And it's also sort of subverting gender norms, but it is also, you know, it is also a man saying, stay here, just stay, come on, 
Come on. Stay here. Dangerous stuff. You guys each get two points. Great job for not knowing what the Continental is. <laughs> wow, we should shut our mouths. Yeah, we should definitely have no vague idea more often if we're playing for points. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you don't know. When, when I stump you, I have to, I have to reward somehow. Honesty. Because, we're rewarding honesty. Thank yeah, you. yeah you, guys, you guys were both upstanding uh, battlers of uh, reality or something. Uh, okay, Simon, we're back to you. Okay. It's one through six. Five. Number five. Do you have a vague idea about the Denver International Airport tunnels? I have no clue about those. Oh, no. except I no. I, I mean, I may have a smidge of an idea. Okay, but uh, it would be complete conspiracy theory hearsay if I had any idea about that. We'll talk about talk about your conspiracy <laughs> theory hearsay. That uh, might be just what I want. <laughs> um. No, I'm going to get this all wrong. This is like uh, second or third hand internet gossip. But um, I know that it starts with the idea that from space, the runways look like a swastika. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. So has been claimed. And um, uh, so, and really, um, I'm just assuming the tunnels have got something to do with neo-Nazis in Colorado and some kind of um, underground railway or airline that that uh, that is smuggling, I don't know who you'd want to smuggle out of DIA. Um, so really, no, I have no clue. I'm just going to have to just bail here because I've t- totally run out of bullshit. You you did really well, actually. I, I appreciate everything you said because, the, the, yeah, the, the runway layout is part of the greater conspiracy around DIA, so that is correct. Uh, Antoine, what can you say about those tunnels? Reptilian aliens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, the IA actually ended up including in a in an ad campaign, um, basically admitting to all of the conspiracy theories that there were some reptilian alien overlords breeding under the IA or some other things like that. And probably this has a source in the automated baggage system they had tried to put together. Yes, you know, which was a. Uh, an homage to Monty Python in terms of their their thing about the automated baggage system at Heathrow, the the other airport in the world <laughs> where my baggage is consistently, like clockwork, always lost or damaged. You can always count on that. Heathrow is Heathrow it is consistent. It's you know it's it's the it respects tradition, yes. um, the same way DIA does. Well, DIA is uh, it's gotten better, but yeah, there's supposedly all this complex of tunnels, which of course was built to try to do an automatic baggage system, which never happened. Right. But everybody thinks that, or enough rumors are, are around saying that there's some weird alien reptilian shit going on, which also connects to all the wonderful folklore around DIA with Lucifer and you know, yep. and on and on. And um, and yeah, and, and the airport actually went ahead and, and admitted to all that in an, in an ad campaign to just go, it's probably better to just laugh about it than try to pretend to it's not going on. So so there are reptilian alien overlords under DIA. <laughs> and when you think of that, you think, well, if the aliens pick Denver, then they're probably not that dangerous. Here, here's one thing I, I have. A, I have an issue with reptilian overlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, reptilian overlords existing underground. Everything we know about reptilian anything is that they need the sun yeah. to stay warm enough to stay alive. I don't see how be. I mean, I get it that underground you're good. Geothermal reptilian. All right, so it's see, all about. There are dance. a couple of episodes of Doctor Who that you need to see. Yeah, ah, okay. Nate, see, that's what they want you to believe, <laughs> Nate. 
<laughs> they want you to think that reptiles have to be in the sun, but they don't. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys hit it. Um, DIA has been a, a, a huge sort of controversy point for the runway shape. Uh, markings, the the Blucifer, the the big blue horse, as well as the murals painted throughout the airport, and then the tunnels in the underground and quote the underground bunker. Um, these tunnels, which were for the automated baggage system, that you know didn't didn't actually work. Uh, lots of people think that it is uh, a sort of thoroughfare for a new world order or for the government to get to NORAD to get to all these places. Um, you know, the only thing I've ever heard that's actually true about uh, tunnels in Denver is that there is a tunnel in the Brown Palace Hotel that was used by the Beatles when they were here, when they played Red Rocks in 1964, so that they could get from their hotel room out to their car without being mobbed by fans. Um, were the Beatles reptilian overlords? <laughs> dum, dum, well, dum. I mean, only two of them survived, so those two are. I mean, Ringo's definitely a reptilian overlord. I don't know about Paul. <laughs> I mean, come no on. Comment. Like who? 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 Who drums oh, like really? that? If no, no, not wait, 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 wait. I don't want to let this go. No, Simon. Seriously, Paul McCartney. Come on. No comment on Paul McCartney. Well, he looks more reptilian the more plastic surgery he has. This is true. This also, is... he's he's pretty kind of uh, disturbingly vegetarian, and like a, most lizards, mm. most lizards, save for your Gila monsters, your Komodo dragons, are not eating flesh. So, you know, if you want to subsist on bugs and grasses, then yeah, I guess you could be a lizard. Does anyone remember that awesome 1980s TV show, V? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. My sure. favorite ever. <laughs> it's a great I show. I loved V. I watched that in Singapore. <laughs> I tried to watch it a few years ago. It's so dated that it's unwatchable. It is I so loved it as 80s. a kid. It's so 80s. It was, it's, the it's hair what, is quintessentially oh, 80s. Yeah. The, sp- the spaceships. The oh the yeah oh yeah that that and uh, what was the, the dislocated jaw eating the mice that is always stuck with me yeah 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 I was trying that to think what was the other one with the alien uh, it was a buddy cop movie but the alien was one of the cops nothing can ever uh, compare to V V was fantastic there was a recent thing of that with uh, Will Smith but then there was an older movie that was better and I can't remember its name Alien Nation Alien Nation that's right because they made a series of yes. it for a I limited guess that's period what they of made time. With, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was our our uh, American knockoff of V. Uh, great job. Uh, two and a half points for Antoine. Two points for Simon and Antoine. We're back to you. Are we? I think so. All One right. through five. Five. Number five. Ah, Antoine. It's time to play Palm Palm de Terre. Woohoo! It's back. Yeah, Shannon's not here, so it can be back. Oh, just for me. And this week on Palm Palm de Terre, uh, well, every time on Palm Palm de Terre, I present an object that is neither an apple, palm, or a potato, palm de terre, uh, and you have to tell us uh, whether it's an apple or a potato. Mm. This week, the object in question is this copy of a Paolo Coelho's L'Alchemiste en Francais. Is this mm. paperback book an apple or L- a potato? L'Alchemiste. Now, Paul Coelho, remind me, is a... a he's Brazilian, he's Brazilian, I believe. Right. He's he, Brazilian or Portuguese yeah. Yeah. author. Was, was this was this book originally written in, in, in Portuguese? I believe so, yes. This is, a, this is a translation that Jenny yeah. had picked up because we have a copy that is English translated and mm-hmm. had a plan to try to read both, Edition I'm sure. Une carrière pour la traduction française. Yes, this was translated into French. Haven't been translated into French as a French person. Um, who has to uphold the, uh, the the literary snobbishness of my country? I have to say, this is a patate, my friend. 
patat. Is a patat. <laughs> That's right. It's a what? It's a patat. That is the slang word for pomme de terre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It does not it's also a slang word for a cute dog in, in American internet speak, is to call like something uh, a potate. Which is P O T A T E. I'm assuming mm. patat is spelled the same way. Patat is P A T A T E. Oh, P A T A. Patat versus potet. And yeah. now, now here's the thing. I, I have much love and respect for Paul Coelho, and I think this is probably. Uh, I have not read L'Alchimiste, but uh, I, uh, you know, probably would be as delightful as the rest. But I have to be uh, the the representative of the, my snobbishly, sure, unbearably snobbish country. How could you not? And it's it's snooty horror because I, I'm worse than French. I'm Parisian. Yeah. Um, so therefore, <laughs> I true. have to call this patate. Why and, are potatoes uh, so bad? I with, thought you guys invented frites. Uh, les frites? No, that's Belgian. We have many jokes about the Belgians and their, frites, <laughs> and their French fries. They're not French fries; they're Belgian fries. And silly educated. <laughs> yeah, which is which anything uh, the Americans call French is not French. Well, that's the uh, yeah French toast, Belgian toast, uh, French uh, toast. That's Texan, I think. I don't know. That's uh, well, it's just it's just bread dipped in eggs. It, it's yeah. it's and I, I we talked about this I think on the episode that I did now about the, England and France before, mm-hmm. and it was really the whole reason French toast existed at all was because. People had bread that dried out and became inedible unless you soaked it in egg and baked it again. No, no, that's and why then Texas it was, toast exists. Yeah. Yes. Now hold on. There is pain perdu, which means lost bread, ah. which is exactly what you do with old stale bread. <laughs> okay. You dip it in milk, and uh, and probably so, so some probably some butter involved. That's oh, well, somewhere. I mean, huh? come on. <laughs> uh, in milk and some egg concoction. So in Chalon, the restaurant uh, downtown, mm-hmm. they have. That dish, they have a like as a Vietnamese yeah. French version of that is to die for. Yeah, fantastic. So Pampierdu is wonderful and delicious, um, but we don't typically eat it for breakfast. But yeah, the the, the French toast is a, a horrible abomination of Pampierdu. All right, just because it's done outside of France, anything <laughs> done outside of France is a horrible abomination. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense to me. Nah. I'm in, I'm into it. Um, Simon, is this an apple or potato? <laughs> this this paperback book. What do you think? I need a bit more clarification on those categories. Uh-huh. I mean, it, you've, you've had an apple and a potato before, right? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I treat them equally. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so really it's just whether this feels to you like an apple or a potato. Like, the, what, what, is, what, what speaks from this object to you? Did Antoine have to justify why he thought it was an apple or a potato? Uh, I mean, he kind of did because he he saw it, he thought it was a because it's not a a French text but rather a, tra- a that's, I thought French that's what, text I thought in that's translation. What he was saying, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, which somehow makes it a a a, a ground an earth apple. <laughs> well, I have to say it's a potato because it's all in French. I can't read French. Okay, and I've never read this book. It's kind of a book that people have talked about. I pretended to know what it's about, and I felt like I should have read it. So it's probably a classic, you know. It it it, uh, co- it you know it, it follows the definition of a classic being a book that everyone owns but no one has ever read. Yes. Um, uh, but I really don't know that you know anything about it, so uh, I'm going to say it is potato, just for that reason. All right, that sounds good to me. You found a book that Simon hasn't read. <laughs> there are many. <laughs> Congratulations, Nate. That All right. Easy. Very good. I mean, you're both, you're both absolutely correct. It is a potato for various reasons. We don't need to go into them here in, in great detail. Actually, Nate, I know you, unless you're short on time, oh, no. I do like it when you tear into a book. Oh, why well, would tear it? Well, verbally, I, not literally. You know what? I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't tear into this. I, I think it's, it's probably an exceptional book. I have yet to read it. So it, it, it falls on a list of things that, yes, same thing. Yeah. Um, it's a book that I've heard of. 
It's not a book that I've yet to read. You own it. Um, but yes, we do We do own a, a, an English copy and a French copy with the hopes of uh, doing a little compare and contrast. Uh, it is fun. It is fun just to read, uh, as we're learning French, to read a page in French to go, oh, gosh, I know like 20% of those words. I feel pretty good about this. Now, putting them together into a cohesive thought, I cannot do, but I'm into it. <laughs> um so I'm going to give you each a point for that. That was that was great, uh, Antoine. I have a question for you. This 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 is a French language question. Oui oui. So I was recently using the Google Translate app, which I realize is not uh, the most directly effective or or uh, comprehensive way to learn a language, but it it gave me the impression that the word avocat, which can mean lawyer, mm-hmm. also means avocado. Yes, yeah. So is there a market? For some sort of uh, guacamole shirt about smashing other lawyers, and how do we do that? <laughs> um, th- there's there's two components to your question. One of them is yes, the word avocat means a lawyer and a uh, and an avocado. Uh, understanding that a French lawyer is um, something with a lot less how do I say it? a lot less balls than an American one. Okay, uh, you know, yep. You don't have to be afraid of them as much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're not, f- it's they're not f- the same entity. They're French. They'll capitulate. Um, but um, is there a market? The answer to in, when you're asking about France and the the question that starts with "Is there a market?" is a resounding no. Yeah, no one um, wants anything. But um, there is. Hold a, on, hold on. I uh, can I interject? Yes, interject, it? please. Well, what do you call a French lawyer who was run over by a bus? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Guacamole. Guacamole. Okay, yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where I was going. Mostly because, okay, when Jenny and I were last in France, so this was this last spring when we, we, vis- we visited London and then we took the train, uh, we stopped in a coffee shop. It wasn't a, it wasn't a coffee shop, coffee shop. It was like one of these places that's trying to be like an anti-coffee shop. So mm-hmm. you, you don't order drinks. You just pay a flat fee to hang out for a couple of hours. Yes. It's like a workspace. Anyway, yeah. cool they had a, yeah. yeah. They had a, a poster in the back that had a picture of Darth Vader's visage on it, and mm-hmm. it said, Je suis ton percoleteur, which I thought was <laughs> an, a hilarious pun. Um, and it was the first time that I was like, I'm getting French because I got that pun. Yeah, and if yeah. there's anything that I always get, it's puns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was trying to figure out a good, a good avocado pun oh, okay. with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but no, there is no market in France. I'm, 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 I'm looking into getting back into the startup community in France, and what I'm understanding is the startup community is just a question of how can you get government subsidies for X, <laughs> Y, or Z? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's no money in France. Yeah. It's all, well, there's money, there's taxes, and there's government subsidies, but there's no actual market or money. Well, because people have money to spend on things that they need to live rather than just uh, venture cap. Mm. Or whatever, mm. maybe there's, there's no money in France. There's okay. just the government. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds a bit like Portland, Oregon. Maybe not. Uh, sounds like what Portland, Oregon dreams it could be. <laughs> yes, this is fair. This is fair. Uh, okay, great job, uh, Simon. We're back to you. One through four. Four. Number four. All right, we're gonna play Fuck Mary Kill. Have you played Fuck Mary Kill before? You know, I never have. So okay, I'm suck at this. So uh, no, you know, <laughs> you 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 get the option whether you're going to fuck, whether you're going to marry, or whether you're going to kill each of the following three international things. Okay, um, none of them are people, so this is going to be very uh, I don't know weird. Uh, so one, the international dateline. Two, the international phonetic alphabet, and three. The International Monetary Fund, which I feel like everybody's uh, going to be pretty quick to leap to kill for that, but we'll see. Certainly, I would 
kill the International Monetary Fund. Okay. Do I have to give reasons? What's the... Uh, I mean, whatever you feel comfortable with. Oh, well, uh, I feel like it's just a shill of the United States to... uh, It's basically a form of post-colonial colonialism colonialism in the United States. It's a way to, instead of actually invading companies... Um, companies, countries. Um, it's just a way to uh, make them so indebted to you that they have to buy all your goods and services and use all of your companies and allow them to move into a company and occupy all the niches in the economy that otherwise your own entrepreneurs would occupy. Um, and then uh, under con- terms that no reasonable country can possibly meet um, yeah. so that you're perpetually on the hook diplomatically to satisfy what the IMF wants. Um, which is just whatever the cabal of America and its uh, you know interests, uh, at least up until this point, have wanted. So I just feel like it's a a new form of post-colonial um, uh, control, um, mm-hmm. uh, imperialism. And there's a book, if anyone disagrees with this, there's a great book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman about a guy who I guess he worked as one of the agents for yeah. the IMF and its consortia of consulting companies that would go in and create the these little um, syndicates um, and it's a it's a fascinating book and it will make you realize that that's what the IMF is like also um, oh, yeah. David Graeber's book uh, Debt uh, The First 5,000 Years I believe is the subtitle of that oh, book oh yeah 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 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing book but uh, similarly I know he's one of the most outspoken critics of the IMF but his book uh, <laughs> really explains to you why so yeah definitely kill the IMF great yeah kill, kill that uh, steaming pile of bullshit yeah, yeah. Well, what are you, who are you going to marry who are you going to kill or who are you going to remind fuck? me what the options are again so, so, so carried away you, with that one you have you have uh, <laughs> you have the options to fuck and to marry remaining yes. and your remaining uh, suitors are the international dateline and the international phonetic alphabet oh god um uh I by the way is fuck a good thing in this context or a bad thing? It's it, it, it <laughs> a very British thing to yeah, ask. No, it, it depends how you want to apply it. You're allowed to apply it however you like. Uh, if you want it to be purely uh, carnal pleasure, great. Okay. If you want it to uh, be the screwing over of it. It, yeah. is, it is both, of course, my friend. <laughs> That's why it's so wonderful. Okay. Um, uh, I would like to fuck the phonetic alphabet. Okay. Mm. Uh, I'd like to fuck it over. I don't really understand... I don't really understand the point of it um, too much, um, other than because no one can actually understand it, right? So, what sure. is the point of any kind of alphabet that no human being can actually understand? So, yeah, why would you take the and, and greatest the technology, technological uh, yes. innovation we've yeah. made, which is language, and then be like, let's make and it completely incomprehensible to everybody? And then, um, so I feel like it is the it is a uh, the poster child of misguided academia trying to make the world better, but just making it worse by laying down some rules that no one will ever follow except for academics. So fuck it. Great. Um, and that means I have to marry the international dateline, which I'm wanting to do because, like marriage, it's not something I really understand, but I feel that somehow it's indispensable. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I will say that I that I believe marrying the international dateline is absolutely the correct answer. Uh, well, at least because it seems like you have to go on a date first to marry the international dateline. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it could be a very long date. Yeah. Could last several days, depending on how many times you straddle back and forth. Antoine, who are you going to fuck? Who are you going to marry? Who are you going to kill? Well, my dear friend, 
I uh, I only fucking marry the most uh, wonderful woman in the world, my wife. Great. Uh, therefore, I will kill all three of your suggestions. Because oh, that's geez. all I have left for that. All right. You can do that. I love you, Elizabeth. Ah, have very sweet. Very sweet. Uh, yeah, my you know my argument for marrying the international dateline is also that uh, because the dateline is there, uh, you can either have as long or as short of uh, any sort of day or conflict or whatever is possible, which is sometimes indispensable in a marriage to be able to extend a moment or shorten a moment as needed. I do need to add one little thing. Mm-hmm. The international dateline. I'm not quite sure if that is. The Greenwich Meridian or the one on the other side? It's on the other side, right? But being on the other side, it's intimately connected to the Greenwich Uh, Meridian, which is English. Opposites attract. Oh, yes. Which is in England, (laughs) and which they stole the Paris Meridian, which was the initial and original zero. You guys got the meter and was the important one. Let's face it, (laughs) it was more glorious. Nobody has ever been or heard about Greenwich and gives a shit about it. So that was an absolute abomination. And just like Joan of Arc, it's too soon. I. we can't forgive that yet. So that is another reason why definitely kill the fucking international dateline. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> as, only, of... as only with the hate and the heart and, and you know, there's the, 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 the anger that only a defeated person could, could muster. Yeah, that's, there's some bad blood here. I'm off my soapbox now. That's good. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, great job. Five points each for your answers. You were both absolutely correct, whether in devotion to your wife or in devotion to uh, the International Dateline. I'm into all of it. Antoine, we're back to you. One, two, or three? Uh, Do. Do you have a vague idea about the fourth international? La quatrième internationale. Let me answer, uh, I think... I think I know what we're talking about here. And let me uh, reply to you in song. C'est la lutte finale. Groupons-nous et demain. L'international sera le genre humain. I do believe the fourth international is the um, idea of a international un- uh, unity among all communist uh, countries and organizations to try to bring about the international victory of communism and therefore the fraternization of all is humans the same around as the, the world. F- fourth estate? Is it the same? The fourth estate. I think the, the fourth estate is, the, I, is journalism, right? I, I, isn't fourth estate yeah, is, is... I'm confused. Yeah. I don't know what estate means. That's an English word. <laughs> uh, I've never understood it. <laughs> Real estate, <laughs> estate tax, whatever. It's like Esquire. Nobody knows what the heck that word means. It's just fancy, fancy Le quatrième maison. Le quatrième maison. No. Uh, <laughs> so l'international is this wonderful communist... And, and uh, shout out and a wink to... Uh, uh, my uncle and aunt and cousins, uh, uh, victoire, mes amis, pour la fête de l'humain, and so on, um, who are, who are uh, ardent and devoted communists and whom I love very much. Um, in France, the thing with communists and communism is, uh, you know, we make fun of it, of course, and we, you know, we laugh a little bit about them and their little merguez parties and their, you know, hate of uh, and their proletarian spirit and their hate of, um, uh, of the rich and so on. But we all feel a little bit guilty and we all feel that, you know, our better selves would probably be communists a little bit because they just want humans to be brotherly and yeah. friendly and the whole we French just want everybody to is share. connected to that. Yeah. Um, you know, we like owning shit a little too much to, to want to be that. Um, but there's a little 
uh, Frenchness, especially, and by this, let's be very, very clear. I mean, ineffective communism oh, sure. is beautiful and we all love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As soon as it starts getting effective, we have a real issue with it, as we should. Well, yeah. yeah. Mo- most systems become problematic when they become effective. But you see, as somebody who is <laughs> n- not at all connected to any of it, I definitely, I, I can still sing the, I can sing the song and with gusto and with belief. Well done. That that yeah, you you hit a lot of it. Simon, can you add anything about the Fourth International? I know absolutely nothing about it. Okay, so and I totally failed. And that's why England doesn't belong in Europe. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously too socialist. I exactly. Uh, Wikipedia says its colors are red. Yeah, know, or why that isn't important. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cor- Cor- Corbin really rolled the dice on. Uh, <laughs> On there being more fourth internationalists in England. Uh, it's a revolutionary socialist international organization consisting of followers of Leon Trotsky, known as Trotskyists, who declared goal is to overthrow global capitalism, the establishment of world socialism and international revolution. Well, the I fourth mean, international was established in France in I, 1938. <laughs> you know, now you've told me what it is, I, I do have an opinion. Yeah, hit us. Um, so what I would call the Fourth International is actually I would call it I would call it international endosymbiosis, and this is the coming together of organisms that otherwise uh, live separately. They come together in order to solve a finite time singularity, which is the problem as things grow. Mm-hmm. Just as uh, what's his name? Can't remember geneticist. Some 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 monk dude. Um, Mendel, I think oh, that was his name. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. he, pre- mm-hmm. he predicted that we would run out of food kind of by the end of the 19th, 18th century, I think. Mm. But because technology keeps reinventing the means of production, we're able to continuously escape this uh, this this event. But, Though, in fairness, yeah. uh, some would argue that we did run out of food in the direct definition of what food is. And now we have stuff that is that's, processed chemical paste true. that we, we have, eat that has extended our ability to... We have metabolic to, paste yeah, that still yeah. does the... And that's we, how, we have stuff yes. to consume, yes. but we don't necessarily and, have and food really in the more than that, century sense. We've gone from consuming like 100 watts, um, you know, which is like calories per second, to uh, like, I don't know, 11,000 watts or something, which is like we now have the metabolic... Per footprint per day of a blue whale, yeah. you know, compared yeah. to, oh, yeah. uh, compared to uh, when we were in our hunter-gatherer stages, a light bulb. Yeah. So um, I'm and, loving it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet there are like uh, uh, you know a thousand times more of us or, than than there used to be. So so I so so modern communism I can I can really get behind as a as a solution to uh, a finite time singularity, which is the point where just everything gets fucked because we run out of resources. Um, uh, because what happens when a system comes to get integrated into a new whole, just like when the bacteria become part of cells and cells become organisms, is that we're able, we have these, uh, we have these step changes of efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe it's 15% in the, uh, in the ordinary human world because uh, we're just kind of mechanistic, but it's 25% of every doubling of scale, 25% improvement in efficiency because nature is fractal. That's because of the folded nature of membranes can turn one dimensions into a you know one point something dimension and two dimensions because you can imagine the line gets more more folded it becomes more like an area and so nature managed to squeeze out a whole extra dimension so nature is really evolving in four dimensions which is why it is able to go is why it achieved this this uh, extra level of efficiency so I feel like if we are all going to become a communist uh, international a world we are going to have to become kind of a group organism and uh name for that yeah. is endosymbiosis yeah which is why we need to eat the rich yeah 
I've really missed you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, my brain just got a great massage there. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something else about the international. I think it was, I, I, I may be completely off, but I think it's 20s or 30s, mm-hmm. of 1920s or 1930s. And there's something special about it. Is This came about... 1938 was when it was established. 38, for shit's sake. My Mm -hmm. God, you know, what a year. The the thing about it is that it came at a time when the world was a lot as it is today, getting excessively polarized and nationalistic and racist and hateful. Mm -hmm. um, Lots of haves, lots of Mm have-nots. But also also very much... um, Victory of theories of eugen- eugenics, victories of theories of, of racism. I mean that in the in the the pure sense of racism, <laughs> if there's such a thing. Meaning the th- the belief that some races are superior to others. Yeah. Um, the cultural, you know, the cultural. Um, how do you say? How would you say this? The, the, you know, the belief that some cultures are superior to others. The the the, the battles of cultures. Um, the the the. The horrible, you know, the, the uh, ugly level Cultural of colonialism. Eugenics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The colonialism that basically was saying, you know, uh, yellow people are, are worse, uh, black people are even worse, and so on. At that moment, um, and this was culturally prevalent in all countries. I mean, you know, when people talk about how uh, the Holocaust happened in Germany, but, you know, um, the reason why the French co- were mostly collaborators into the Holocaust is because France was a high, extremely anti-Semitic country, as most European countries were. Uh, everybody yeah. hated the Jews and were proud of hating the Jews in those days. Um, anyway, all of this, the, um, the concept of the international and of saying, we are all going to be brothers Yeah. Uh, from no matter what country we're in, uh, the Russians wanting to be brothers with uh, the Chinese, with you know um, all the European countries wanting to be brothers with people of all races and colors. This was quite quite a unique, beautiful, and and, and, and strange thing, and that's why the name of it is the International. Mm-hmm. Um, was really saying a breakdown of this nationalistic uh, wave that we're into, and that's oh, the nationalistic yeah. wave, you know, moved into. Um, Nazism. I mean, uh, Nazi Germany and 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 fascism in in Italy and in Germany and Japan, uh, and and in you know integrism all around the world. Uh, honestly, you could say uh, fascism in um, on on the uh, on the nationalistic side, fascism on on the the USSR side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole you know really wanting to uh, to be a, a pan-humanistic type of uh, of belief was something new and completely out of place for the time yeah. and completely hopeful for the time. Uh, and I think in these times we're in right now, we're honestly, uh, you have to be blind and not realize that we are in 1930s. Yeah. Uh, we are moving to fascism uh, in America We where we have concentration camps already, um, you know, in Europe where... Um, uh, there's there's just a series of right wing governments. My, I mean, my country has temporarily avoided uh, the, the the National Front and the the, the fasc- Germany has staved it off to some extent stuff. too. Yeah. but it's but, but, happening but, but, in Italy and it's but, happening in Poland and it's happening in the yeah, UK. Yeah. Yeah. and we're no we're on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of this stuff going on. Uh, uh, I don't believe communism is the or political communism is the answer. I oh, think no. there's a lot of things to think about on the economic <laughs> side. Um, but this vision. This wanting to oppose in a very strong and powerful this 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 international panhumanistic vision is something we really all need to work towards or to look for or to uh, push as a complete counterpoint to what's going on right now. Oh yeah, and so there's something beautiful to me when I was singing that song. Um, the hopeful part of that song um, that's that's important, and I think we all need to find a way to reconnect to that and to get to and and to forcefully put some vision of unity. 
against the wave that's coming coming on today. Uh, I don't know if that'll be enough or if it, if it would help, but um, but I, I I'm nostalgic for it. Oh yeah, no, I I, I think what's brilliant about this, uh, especially, is just it's 1938, and it's it's a philosophy that is basically around the idea that hey, the the Third International, which was too uh, too sort of cronyistic in its in its uh, Stalinist sort of positions. Uh, was was becoming too harsh, right? And so we have to refocus on this is about people all being people, and we have to figure out how we're all going to exist because we're all sharing this marble floating through the cosmos, and we don't really have a choice. Um, it's it's a very like uh, the non political aspects of communism and socialism are effectively like, hey, look. Uh, Look at how happy everybody is on Star Trek. Everybody has a job they like. Everybody's taken care of. They get to use a replicator to make a milkshake whenever they want. And you know what? Nobody's got a beef with anybody. The only time there's any beef is because there's another alien race that then sees this human communal action as problematic. Um, Yeah, we should. We should strive to be better. Absolutely. Uh, Great job, guys. Um, I'm going to give Antoine two points, Simon one point. And Simon, we're back to you. Are we back to you? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. One or two? One. Number one. Wait. Wait. Antoine, I have to go ahead. Yeah. What the fuck is up with this European level of pointing point system here? Huh? Mate, I've heard in recent shows people have been given 100 points, 69 <laughs> points. And, and I'm back from Europe. Uh-huh. For four years I've been back in Europe. Yeah. Where, you know, the, the synonym for awesome is not bad. Uh-huh. Okay? <laughs> where I've been in a place where you, give, you tell people your idea and they just shit on it. <laughs> thinking they're being helpful. Oh, sure, sure. I came back here for a couple of weeks to Denver, Colorado to get my dose of positivity and optimism. And okay. you're giving us fucking one, two, one or two fucking points. <laughs> Are we, what is this, Europe? That's fair. That's Okay. Come you on, know Nate. Uh, Put part- some zeros in this motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Part, All right. Of this, part of this is me being lazy and not wanting to have to uh, do a lot of sounds in post. But um, yeah, you know what? The next question going to be high stakes. Thanks, man. Uh, uh, Simon, you picked number one? Yeah. All right. Number one, it's time to play from the makers of Pomme ou Pomme de Terre. It's La Chose Francaise Arbitraire. This is an arbitrary French thing. The only thing that's French about it is the name at this point. And uh, Simon, I'm just going to ask you, um, of all the countries that exist, which country is the best country? <laughs> which one? Out of all of them. <laughs> Out of all of the countries. You just have to tell me which one's the best one. Best question ever. Um, whoa, that's a difficult question. Uh, it could be funny. It could be kind of uh, flippant. If I were to try to answer that seriously, uh, that's even harder. Um, well, let's see. Okay, I'm going to say America. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm going to say America. Let's that's hit, a, let's, let's I'm going to have to justify this. That's right. a big swing. Yeah. I'm gonna say <laughs> And here are the reasons why. I mean, I know right now we're kind of a low ebb. It's like the echoes of 1930s. And yep. we have dis- have we discussed. We're, we're, we're hitting a little McCarthyism era, yeah, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Your, your 1950s. Yeah. But um, when you look at, like, the best, like the, 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 where America is the best, I think it is the best in the world. Um, you know, I think not in healthcare, not, not kind of the social safety net. I think it, it's all fundamentally misunderstood what um, government is for. Right. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. There's been yeah. A, a long narrative it's become, to uh, dissuade us from yes. thinking the government yeah. should do anything. It has become uh-huh. gradually kind of deconstructed through the, um, you know, the erosion, the ge- geological erosion of financial incentives. 
in every area of life. So there is no value system anymore in America that is other than financial. Mm -hmm. And I think other countries still, they have their institutions, they have the culture, they have their ide ideologies, of their values. I think that um, America has managed to find a way to monetize all of that mm -hmm. or at least make it um, compromised by or dependent on in some important way money. Yeah, and at the, very and least that, it's a subscription service. Yes. Yeah. And, and therefore, um, and then for sale in a market. So I think America has done the most of any country in the world to um, turn every form of human value into a market. Mm -hmm. And I think the current problems that we have but the other side is I also think America does the most of any country to allow like uh, social identity groups of every kind a large enough base that they can become serious market movers that they 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 they're beyond sure. critical mass. Yeah, from from the yes. market perspective, yes. like yes. if so, if you can build enough people right. to make money, then you exist. And it's it's always yeah. you know it's the same thing as you know it's the same idea as brands as it is social identities. It's um, those. So, and, you know, enabled by modern technologies like the internet, which, mm -hmm. you know, America uh, at least uh, brought to the world, if the world has better infrastructure than America now does have. So I, I feel like the problems that America have are the result of the kind of the reductio ad absurdum of the experiment that everyone else is further down on the escalator on. Right. So I feel like the problems <laughs> are much worse because we're just uh, at a more advanced, some would say... A decadent or decrepit stage in the, the the death of an empire or a civilization, and I've 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 heard that argued. Um, but I also think that that means that we are closer to uh, the promise of renewal, and the uh, in some ways. And when you and you when you listen to all of the greatest thinkers, like Lawrence Lessig, I mean, the, my favorite are Lawrence Lessig is law professor. There's Amy Chua is another law professor. They're all law professors for some reason. Tim Wu, mm -hmm. whether it be intellectual property law or the, um, you know, uh, 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 how elections, how our electoral system um, operates to uh, how the markets operate. To, uh, and I, I just feel like all the problems we have are real problems that need real solutions. And that if we can get beyond this moment and we can make it not a turning point to fascism, but to something that is greater, uh, you know, a greater unit, e pluribus umum, to, 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 a, to a, you know, make a more perfect whole. Yeah. We, we, will, we will have gone through the dark night of the soul and we will come out shining and we will be um, a beacon for the world. And it's just that, that so I, I have so much hope for that. That is why I think we are the greatest nation. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you for anything you've said because it is a uh, it is a situation where what and Antoine, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. That one of the great things about America is that things can happen, change can happen quickly and resolutely in ways that it cannot happen in other yeah, cultures because yes. because our because of the way that everything is sort of commodified to the point where it's like, well, hey. Um, Gay people are in, so it doesn't really matter if you have biases against them. <laughs> they exist, and they they can get married, and that's how it works. Whereas in other parts of the world, it would be like, well, no, it doesn't. It still doesn't matter. Yes, they exist. Yes, they're in numbers. Yes, they have social media. Whatever, we're still going to hate them. Um, and granted, there are people in this country who still hold hateful beliefs. Um, but yeah, it would it would be nice to think that 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 is what we can do. That has been my hope: is that uh, what we're seeing now is is sort of a death knell it's a it's a thrashing of an of an old beast that that is at the end of its life and and it just needs time to die but it needs a generation's time to die and yeah. so we we are in the uh, 
the uncomfortable position of having to deal with those last moments, which means a lot of anger, a lot of uh, frustration, suspicion, and a lot of and a lot of just violence for violence' sake, because that's what any animal does when yes. it's wounded, yeah. and that's sort of the end. Um, very good, very good. Uh, Antoine, which country is the best country? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Simon right now and he's looking at me and going like I know exactly what you're going to say <laughs> I'm looking at Nate and he's looking at me going like I wish you wouldn't but I know what you're going to no, say hey, say what you say well I'm going to say this uh, so, Simon thank you that's uh, all I have to say about that thank you um, I will say this but I will say I will say something similar but for a very different reason um, my wife was born in America mm-hmm and she is a person who is a she's a magical person. She has a soul that is free. Yeah. Uh free in a way that nobody in my home country can understand. Um free not from, you know, from hardship, from self-doubt, from uh you know, uh limitations, from mistakes. Um but free in a way that you cannot experience anywhere outside of here. Um and she has set me free. Um, and what has set me free about her is, is partially the wonderful person she is, but also partially the context she comes out of. Mm-hmm. Um, America is a place of endless second chances. Sure. Um, I have lived for the last four years near next to Switzerland, and I've seen in Switzerland uh, some startups, for instance, that were amazing. By, by Colorado standards, these people should have millions of dollars in funding. Um, the people working in them are, you know, cultivated, they're smart, they're, um, very professional. They have products that are really perfected. They have markets, they have revenue, they have customers, they have, uh, plans and strategies. They are, you know, again, as I said here, they would be on a series B or C and, and have huge funding. They can't get a hundred thousand, you know, Swiss francs or dollars in funding. They have to, uh, and they don't believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, they don't believe in themselves. Europe doesn't believe in itself. I think, the, honestly, the, compared to what America can do, no country in the world believes in itself. And America believes in itself, and often for no good reason whatsoever. Yeah, no, that's I. I think that <laughs> I is seen, grossly the thing. Often, I've seen the most uneducated. Um, pardon my French, but just stupid people with no clue what they were talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, come up in those startup competitions or startup weekends or things like that and just come up with an idea that everybody is is hearing and just groaning, just going, oh, my God, that is so <laughs> stupidly dumb and derivative. And then I saw some of the VCs who were judging this go like, you know, be kind to these people and, and, and encourage them. And my thought on that was, how, you know, are you, that's a little bit um, – you know, it's a little bit of bullshit. You're being so condescending. You know, are you being condescending to these people? Or are you just pretending? And it took me a while as a French person to realize they mean it. They mean it. They are not going to judge somebody by how much education they have, by how fantastic their current idea is. They're just going to judge that person by how free they are, by how capable they are of creating change and, and creating a future. Um, there's no... No judgment of where do you come from, how long is your last name, how many particles are in it, how, many, how much you are of this and of that, how blue is your blood, what school did you go to, right? Um, there's, there's none of that. It's, it's entirely about this belief that things can be better and different. And this belief is um, the most 
it, it's what has, I've missed so much in the last four years. It's what I'm craving. It's what I'm dying to, to, to have. It's what I'm trying to preserve when I'm over in France and trying to inject some energy and some excitement into the people I work with. And, and they love it. And they yeah. tell me all the time how much they hate it. And, oh, Americans are so fake and they're all so positive all the time. And when I, when I show them a little bit of that, they are just hanging on to my lips for every word I can say. It, it is feeding their soul so deeply. And my wife does this to me. My wife has taught me to, to just, just believe in myself. And I don't mean, I mean by that, the just is the most important word here. Not believe in myself, but just believe in myself. My wife has taught me this, you know, this, America, this freedom. Uh, and I don't think you could find freedom anywhere outside the U.S. So that's the reason why I think America is the greatest country is because it gave birth to my wife um, and that the person who set me free. There you go. So that's a very French way of yeah. saying America is the best because my wife is a beautiful, <laughs> and a wonderful woman. I've never met Ma your femme. wife. But I'd like to meet her. That was the most beautiful poem to yeah. your wife. Yeah, and I don't want you to meet her because you're 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 like me, but smarter and and uh, and more interesting. So no way, <laughs> no almost, way. You got 50. Joan of Arc. You're not getting Elizabeth. I have slightly more hair. No, I think I have less hair. <laughs> I think so. What I, what I think is interesting because you both you both said. That America is like is the best country, which is something that I I have a very uh, difficult time with. Hey, let, me, um, let me tell you one more thing. Yeah. America is the best country because America is the only country that would be uh, ignorant and uneducated enough to care about the word best. Sure. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. also that. There no, I think countries like well, it's more complicated than that. America's like, oh, I'll take best. I'm fine with well, that. Well, you and 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 everything that you just said hit on this, which is the the I mean, the essence of America is this really interesting individualism that is not existent in other parts of the world. The idea that you should, as a single person, believe that you have the capability to go do something spectacular and that no one should stop you, you should have no doubt, you should have no fear, and you should just venture out and attempt something. Um, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because it's also, it's not just Randian in the oh, way sure. you're describing yeah. it. Because I do think while it has waned somewhat, America does have a great culture of public service. Um, at least it, it always has. And that it's the combination of the cult of the individual and the kind of the cult of public service. Sure, sure, that, sure. That yeah. is surely, you know, highly dampened in modern in, in the modern era. Well I think what's broken. Com- yes. It, yeah. But, but but still it's sort of I mean, I'll tell you one thing um that struck me. When I I became a citizen this year, mm-hmm. and so I became a citizen under a Trump administration. I went to the I was gonna US. say congrats and oh. I'm just gonna you, USCI. No, no, he can say you can say congrats because Simon is one of the yeah. people that Trump congrats, would want yeah. would want in the country yeah. anyway. So, um, and what struck me was like you go to the USCIS office in the boonies somewhere in Littleton, and they have a very nice ceremony. And the the, the bureaucrats that come up to talk gave the, gave these inspiring speeches that were about what we've been talking about about America, right? And doesn't sound like anything like the Trump administration has been talking about, but it's the myth, the the religion yeah. of America that we all believe in. That's still, even when you get down to the grassroots level of people just becoming a citizen, that's the story. You look at all the documentation, like the little civics test pamphlets they send you. It's it's the dream. Like It's just the stuff we just talked about. It's So that stuff is ingrained in the the bureaucracy of the country it's yeah. it's, it's, it's 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 uh it, it it's what the 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 uh the local officials are 
telling people when you go into your little interview and you, you get quizzed and stuff. It's what those little those what those those agents. It's what they believe. Yeah. So when you see it, even down to that level, you realize that it isn't. It isn't just a kind of a fantasy. It's actually quite ingrained in the culture. It's just the conversation online in the media is so loudly distorted to this sort of biased set of beliefs that are kind of the the things that that motivate mouse clicks. Oh, sure. Um, and eyeballs. That we forget that actually the, the the iceberg there is this huge iceberg that is true to those American values that we yeah. just discussed and that is alive and well. The th- yeah. the thing that I maybe America is wasted on Americans because yeah. I will tell you this coming from outside, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm coming here, I'm I'm back here for two weeks mm-hmm. and and I need this uh, like my lifeblood so badly, so much, in order to be able to do something great in Paris, I need to come here for two weeks and to bathe in this positivity in this sense of possible mm-hmm. that we i'm amazed that we've lost that in europe that we don't have that in europe we have everything else we need yeah but we don't have that and maybe because we don't have that we because we have everything else we need we don't have that i don't know what the, what the alchemy here the alchemy is but um i can't tell you how how you know vital it is for me to come here and just just get a, a little top up for two weeks of this culture so that i can try to create something important over there. I couldn't otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my, my friends in startup communities in Paris and France and Switzerland, um, I wish I didn't say that because it sounds so, so exactly like the negativity I'm trying to avoid, but they're doomed. They, yeah. they, they're doomed to be, they don't have this context in this environment that believes in them. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't know about them enough. But um, but 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 I'm, I've got this this fear that that's the case. I mean, uh, you and I have talked about this, and then just uh, Antoine. I'm talking to Antoine. <laughs> <laughs> Audio medium. Um, but yeah, you because you and I have talked about sort of your perspective on my positivity and my uh, energy to continue to uh, confront and try new ideas and not really feel. Um, you, you, uh, I think the main thing was we had had a conversation once years ago where you said, uh, something to the effect that you found my ability to be somehow American confident slash positive as, as an enviable trait, which is not something that I even record in myself. Like there are times when I think I, I, I mean, I'm not the saddest person who's ever existed. Uh, I, I, really unfortunate to have a very high baseline for my mental health and energy and everything um but but you've told me that like you, you that people would envy being an american quote cool guy i think is the phrase that you've used <laughs> yeah. for me which is never i've never identified as a cool guy i mean hell i'm doing this again trivia america podcast, is wasted on americans i'm but, sorry all americans one thing you should know if you're american you're cool you might not realize that because you're in a whole country where everybody's cool. Um, but, you know, you get out of the U.S., you go to Europe, and nobody's cool in Europe. We don't do that. We, 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 you know, we, we can pretend to be cool, and it's just like somebody's going like, oh, mm, you're trying to act American or something. <laughs> uh, you know, it, Americans are cool. Whenever you get out of the U.S., you'll notice that anywhere you go, people are just in awe of the coolness of it. I'm, I tell my kids the advantage they have uh, in their schools and so on yeah. and why there's so much jealousy and bullying against them. And I'm like, you have to remember, you're cool. Do you know the origin of that I term? I hate that shit. Cool. Hmm. This may interesting. Tell me. Well, I'm not sure I have the official story. I, uh-huh. I think I did research this at some point or I read about it. But, I mean, it's originally a term used of black American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jazz, jazz yes, era. Yes, jazz. Yeah, sure. jazz era. Mm-hmm. 
And so it expressed both the uh, externality, the outsiderness of that culture, but also its freedom. So it, it's all stood for someone who is seen as a, a leader of, of, a, of a free spirit of some kind, who is an outsider, who you look up to and want to emulate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, to be to be disconnected, but yeah. also very connected yeah. to everything. And yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing you don't realize, Nate. You you get out of the U.S. and you simply will have immediately this enormous value that nobody else around you can have. This differentiating factor, which is that you're American, therefore you're cool, therefore everybody might you know give you shit or anything like that. But they're all envious of being able to be cool like you are because they can pretend to, they can try to, they can act like it, but they will never believe. I think what's so interesting, and this, and this, I'm going to go back to learning French as a language, but but you know, uh, using Duolingo, but any any time, any time that you learn another language, the tendency in the teaching is to sort of figure out ways to make the the foreign language. I'm throwing air quotes up uh, to take a phrase that means the same thing in English when it never does. There, yeah. is, there is a specific kind of thinking that goes around how language is constructed that changes the way that our brains operate. Me saying, uh, you know, il fait beau to say it's nice outside in French is different from saying like, hey, it's a nice day. Like there's just, there is a different perspective yes. on it because of the way that if I say it's a nice day, that's me sort of making a declaration of observation, whereas Il Bo is sort of saying like, the thing that is the externality that exists is good today. Yes. That I don't have any control over. Yeah. And there's a very different perspective on how we confront reality based on how language is constructed. Absolutely. The, war um, the Wolfian hypothesis. Yeah. And... Instructus O Simon. Oh uh, well, Carl Wolf. What the, that is the classic name for the belief that language, um, at least to a strong degree, constructs reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which which I think is is true. I mean, not as far as being able to walk through walls. You're going to stub your toe. Sure, but but um, how you synthesize experience and classify it and relate it to everything is very much a factor of your language and the culture it comes from. And yeah. it's probably going to get really interesting if you're going to compare England to America because same language, supposedly. Well, let me let me quote Bernard Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Two countries divided by a common language. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, it's easy to say that. Um, and actually, it takes quite simply decades of working here to stumble into, usually through embarrassment, um, all the cases where that is that that that, that is true, um, it is a strangely. I mean, the the one thing I the one the one area where I stumble all the time is this thing of um, I don't care and I don't mind. Yeah, you know, I when it took me it, ten years to not take offense at I don't care. Right. I would have arguments with ex girlfriends. They would say like, "Do you want me to make you a drink?" I said, "I don't care." It's like, "Well, fuck you." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, offering to do something for like, you. How like, could you dismiss yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. And then, I get that. And then someone would ask me, you know, do I want uh, French toast or pancakes? And I go, I don't mind. And then I go, like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, you don't mind. What, what do you mean you don't mind? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> you don't mind what? French toast or French bread? Which one do you don't mind? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. just that's such a weird one. It doesn't. It, is, it doesn't yeah. have any yeah. like rational basis. So it's not anything. even language. It is culture. Well, yeah, it, it, yeah. But that's the thing is, I mean, the, yeah. the, I I would argue that you know. Uh, yeah, it it is culture. It is culture when it comes to English. 
when it when it comes to other languages, it is language. Like no, no, it is culture. Because yeah. I've been listening to Franglish for the last four years. Uh-huh. I've hung around, you know, people in Switzerland, uh, in the Romans oh, part yeah. of Switzerland, good, the, well, French, the French-speaking part of of, uh, of Switzerland, uh, or, or sometimes uh, some uh, some uh, um, Swiss Germans. Uh, but I, I've hung out around these people and around mostly a lot of coworkers who are from France, and I've heard a lot of Franglish mm-hmm. uh, from all levels. So the f- the pure French Franglish is funny because it is just the most basic knowledge of English, it's basically people speaking French with English words. Sure. Um, so, for instance, they'll tell you at every sentence starts with, the idea is... Yeah. Because, I don't know if you've read uh, Raspail's book, uh, Culture Codes, but um, different, you know, he's, he's a, psych- a French psychologist, but who came to the U.S. And, and figured out what the cultural codes are for different things and used that for marketing. For instance, he helped Jeep understand that the culture code for the Jeep car in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is horse. Okay, and he told them they, they were their sales were flagging. He told them change the headlights back to round headlights. Yeah, because for Americans, a jeep is a horse. Yeah, meaning it Eyes. allows you to go out in nature and be free. Yeah, they did that. They changed that back to round headlights, and their sales went through the roof. Yeah, and they changed their logo to actually show the grill with the round headlights. Now going to Europe, he went no, 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 no. It's not the same culture code in Europe. He you know had people sit on pillows in darkened room and talk about their childhood, and he came up with in Europe the culture code for a jeep is liberator. Okay. So, because for us, it's GIs coming in. The yeah, it's, and giving it's, people yeah, World War and all sorts of candies we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. So, there's that. And, and he, he came up with the cultural codes for different countries. So, the cultural code for America, for Americans, is actually the same as it is for, uh, the cultural code for America for all of the countries in the world. And it is dream. Mm-hmm. And we can all agree on that. America yeah. is the American dream. Yeah. Uh, it's much more a dream than reality, actually, for a lot of people. But, oh, but, sure. But the dream is a very powerful thing. The culture code for England. Is class. Yes, I'm, I think that's true. Clearly. And the culture code for, for culture code for Germany is Ordnung, order. Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the culture code for France is idea. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's interesting. The French believe they are the country of ideas, mm-hmm. believe they're a country of lights. They came up with the idea of democracy with Voltaire and Rousseau, or, you know, dug it up from the Greeks. But anyway, they are a country of, the important thing in French is to show that you're smart. In France, we have all these really high-tech things, these really fantastically, really smart ideas everywhere. And everything is out of order. Mm-hmm. Nothing of it actually works. Yeah, this is what you told yeah. me but about. But it doesn't matter because somebody <laughs> got a great idea and got a promotion because of that because they were clearly the smartest guy. And the fact that it doesn't work in the end is like, well, you know, making shit work. That's just the technician's job. Who gives a yeah. shit about that? Right. The idea was great. Uh, and it works for 12 minutes, long enough for somebody to applaud. And then, you know. I've always it. admired Les Philosophes uh, and how much cachet they get. Yeah. And um, Nate, feel free to edit anything oh, no, out that, that I'm Go about ahead. to say. But I, I did want to ask Antoine. I, I grew up very much reading the French post-structuralists, everything from Roland Barthes, Derrida, Julie Kristeva. I love uh, Deleuze, especially De, Gilles Deleuze. Uh, his book, Capitalism and Schizophrenia, Thousand Plateau. Um those are very much, I mean, Foucault, of course, which I guess is a predecessor to that work. Um, the the and, and I was in the context of an Anglo-American philosophical tradition. I, my first career attempt was as an academic philosopher. So this is kind of where I, before I quit and 
tried to do internet startups, which is kind of how and, I started. And uh, all these names you just said and all these words you said, as a Frenchman, yeah. make me feel so inferior <laughs> that my <laughs> testicles are shrinking yeah, as you're really, talking. Really. But, yeah. but these were just like the the, the, the pantheon as Not it cool. stood, 1990, yeah. you know, 1995, that was the pantheon. And I have no idea how it's moved on. There's, there's Georges Bataille. There are, I know there are others. There's Baudrillard that I know has kind of continued. And there are others. And I wrote letters to these people. I, they, when they came to Oxford University mm. where I was in college, like I would get invited by the dean of whatever college they were staying to have tea with them because I'd had this correspondence yeah. with them. And mm-hmm. it was like part of my geeky, because I was going to be an academic philosopher, I want to make friends with all living. Oh, yeah. Especially French philosophers. Mm-hmm. So Jean-Jacques Le Cirque at Nanterre, he is, you know, not a, he's not a great, but like, is someone who put practical use. I went to I went to Nanterre University. Uh, I, I I played guitar and sang with the pot smokers in the yeah, hallways cool, of humanities hallways. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> didn't That's meet a, didn't meet any of the people you talked yeah. to. Well, but my my point is that, that that those were the ideas that I felt yeah. were. I mean, if they were put to, into practice, mm. they. <laughs> we be, don't do practice in France, though. We just do the ideas. That's like, all that matters. Like, it's That's like enough. I go to America and I read the Constitution and I read history, but then like yeah. my philosophical backing comes from France, yeah. as does America's. Oh, yes. yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, I suppose yeah, that's my absolutely. whole point. I suppose but that's my whole point. The ideas mm-hmm. work here. Yeah. I mean, here, actually, if it doesn't work, you just quit it and do something that works instead. Yeah. In France, we're so happy with our ideas. We don't care if they don't work. <laughs> uh, they're so smart. I would, I would counter that, I think, part of the main <laughs> because okay because I'm, I'm i'm gonna wrap i'm gonna wrap up this this topic real quick um you're each getting 1000 points good job uh yeah Fuck just yeah. just just a shitload of american points uh <laughs> but, <laughs> america, america 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 yeah uh, you're not biased by topic are you uh but but what i will say is so as 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 someone who who was born in in this country and has grown up in this country and seen everything um i didn't have the benefit of seeing these components of our bureaucracy that uphold the ideas that we mean right the 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 majority of time that i heard about the ideas of american exceptionalism and and the melting pot and all these and the inclusiveness and the individualism and all the 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 freedom and the dreams and everything else that was all in, in, you know, primary and secondary school. And and then you reach a point where, you, if you're lucky, I really think, if you're very fortunate and you, and you go to college and then you find out, oh, um, a lot of these things don't work, not because they're bad ideas, but because, like, anything that's a good idea that becomes... That that comes into practice, uh, it gets bastardized in some way. That that's the only place I sit with where with where this country is now. It, it is not that. In fact, yes, we have we have a, a a nation of people who have community and civic duty interests and all these other things. My my concern comes back to what we already talked about, which is the the just continuing doubt of and and skepticism about government and government's role. Because if we could just undo some of the late Nixon slash Reaganist Republican viewpoints around how, no, no, the thing is, is just because something isn't working doesn't mean we have to throw it away. We need to work harder. Uh, I don't know. Antoine, you're shaking your head. Yeah, yeah. Forget the past. This is not what America's good at. This is not where America's going to move. This is not what America has to to, to do. Uh, forget looking at Europe. Forget looking at 
government or even the fucking French, you know, enlightenment idea of democracy and all that. Forget that. Have trust, trust in trust in what a maker is. You, you you're going to discover new things. Um, yeah. Innovation is going to to resolve this. As as um, long as we don't, as long as we find a way to stop locking people in cages and and uh, figure out some way to make it so that people don't go into incredible debt. Uh, just trying to have the education required to have a job that barely pays their bills, that or who just you know that is reasoning by analogy. Uh, yeah, em- that's embrace, fair. Embrace Elon Musk, your fantastic American <laughs> South African. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Embrace uh, all these foreigners who've come here and changed uh, change things um, because this place set them free. Again, as I said, America might be wasted on Americans. Yeah, um, it may well but be, it, but it's not wasted. Um, it, it it helps people change things. And as a foreigner, therefore, I feel more much more entitled to tell you, forget the past and forget the lessons from Europe and uh, look boldly to America coming up or someone here in America, probably not American, I don't know, but coming up with uh, new ways of, you know, reinventing the future and 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 doing some first principles thinking to bring about a new way of doing things. All right. Uh, I have one hint towards that. Mm hmm. Um, that I'm going to ask you to forget as soon as I tell you because you don't want to be looking to the old continent. Sure. I, I've been you know, working in Switzerland for the last four years, and in Switzerland they have something close to distributed government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, One thing that America has invented is the Internet, is ARPANET, and, uh, which enables technologically enables something that humans could never do in the past, which is distri- distributed systems, yeah. not centralized. Not centralized or decentralized, which just means centralized at smaller levels. Right. But actually a system where there is no center. There is no head. Yeah. And um, that looks a lot like nature. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Great yeah. American thinker from Lebanon, Nassim Taleb, with, with um, um, anti-fragile systems and trying to look back at nature and say, let's invent things that are n- actually get stronger under stress. There is some first principle thinking that will lead the way to the future. None of it will look like the international in communism. None of it will look like, you know, um, um, European way of doing government for healthcare and education, which are great things, by the way. I mean, you know, Simon and I both benefited tremendously from that shit. Oh, sure. Um, but again, we benefited from that, and then we came to the U.S. so we could make something out of it. Yeah. Um, so trust in America to come up with some new shit. Yeah. All right. You know, don't look towards the past. Don't look towards others. Don't think the solution is there. The solution is actually in, in, in looking forward. That's a good point. Simon, what, what did you have to say? Well, I think Antoine ended with it. So that, I was just going to say that you know, ideas by themselves are not effective. You need a system that allows you to put those into the market to be tested and to be incentivized by real... And America is uniquely capable is, of that. So all of the things that, are, that make it bad also are the things that allow it to provide a, uh, a testing ground for any idea. Um, and one thing that capitalism does better than any other system is it the way they incentivize people to learn how to solve a problem mm-hmm. and bring it to the masses. Now, it may be biased towards the kind of problems it solves, and it may it sure. certainly has limitations, but no social, political, cultural system comes anywhere close to the harnessing the power of the people to turn an idea into reality through many generations of failure. Even those generations could happen in hours or months um, with the right kind of environment. Uh, that, that, and, and that is why it is the place to give birth to something new. All right. I, you know what? I, I'm 
I'm honored that you both shared that. Uh, this is probably the deepest episode of this podcast we ever had. Uh, so yeah, as I said, a thousand points each on that last uh, on that last topic. And Antoine, uh, the last topic is yours. Are you? Do you want it? Do you want the last topic? Do I want the last? Are you ready? Topic? Fuck yeah! Let me have my American side say fuck yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah! Give me that topic. Okay. Do you have a vague idea about international style? International style. Shit. Um. Okay, 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 okay. Try to be American and pretend I do. Um, international <laughs> style. Yeah, yeah. I think this is actually a. a uh, so this is a, a current of. Um, it's this current in design community that's actually in reaction, uh, in an opposition to um, um, to the, the, the the prevalent and overbearing Swiss style. Um, you know, the Swiss school of design, the Bauhaus, and all of that tendency mm-hmm. um, that has basically been sweeping the world. So it is uh, trying to, uh, in 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 a comical way, it is actually in some ways. Um, um, bowing and giving way to saying yes, the Swiss style is honestly the the, the conqueror, uh, but we're going to steal it back from the Swiss and just call it international. So international <laughs> style is um, a general uh, design tendency towards um, uh, something that that builds out of of Bauhaus and of uh, of uh, Swiss design, mm-hmm. um, but um, um, tries to define itself in a uh, non culturally stereotyped uh, approach and and therefore kind of a bland. Uh, basic thing uh, brought about by um, uh, the victory of of, um, of software as a way to bring about uh, change. So uh, actually, uh, you know, your basic uh, uh, typeface um, uh, designs from uh, um, from uh, Mac OS and Windows. So, and we're, so we're saying it's it's Helvetica plus Dieter Rams. It's it's exactly <laughs> it's it's Helvetica saying, uh, let's just stop calling it Helvetica. <laughs> But it really is aerial, guys. Yeah, it's aerial. It's aerial. There we, you go. We've made it aerial. Aerial now. meaning it's actually uh, it's the a, good parts of it's, Swiss it's, stripped it's out. It's Switzerland without the copyright infringement. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's Switzerland but cheap American copy style. Yeah, you don't you don't get a jaywalking ticket. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's what it is. Now you might have a different definition for what it is, but whatever you got off Wikipedia is wrong. What no. I said is actually the right thing. What's really funny is you're extremely. Like it's very accurate what you said, Simon. What can you add about international style? I pretty much added anything I know. So. All right, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the international style is a major architectural style that was developed in the 1920s and 30s. It's closely related to modernism and modern architecture. It was de- it was first defined uh, by the Museum of Modern Art curators Henry Russell Hitchcock and Philip Johnson in 1932. What I will say is if you look at any of the buildings in here, you would see Bauhaus mixed with uh, some sort of brutalism. And, uh, yeah, it's basically a style of architecture that <laughs> emerged in Holland, France, and Germany after World War One, and spread throughout the world. Which, yeah, uh, it's going to be it's gonna be Swiss-looking, uh, very uh, precise, very smooth, very uh, fancy. I mean, look at wow. look at some of these. I feel vindicated. College at, dropout look strikes at that. again. Look at some of those. I mean, that that's pretty much exactly what you were talking about in building form. Uh, so yeah, there you go. That's that's the international style. I just thought that was very. Uh, I don't. It's it's just so interesting. The, the I, I find architecture fascinating. What do you guys think about architecture? I wanted to be an architect. Yeah. 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 I thought about it for a little while in school as well. And I still believe that would be actually the. The ultimate that would be, you know, I just thought that was just too big of an ambition for me. Yeah, it's going to be the apogee of design, designing living and working spaces in three dimensions. Yeah. That both have to be spiritual and aesthetically appealing, be part of the culture, kind of provide people with the kind of resonances that they, that, that, that inspire them or make them feel at home or comfortable or empowered 
while also being I- incredibly functional mm-hmm. because their you know, form follows um, purpose. Uh, it's got to be the greatest art form um, in the greatest medium that there's ever been, and I don't think it'll ever it'll ever be different. Uh, yeah, I think that it's it's uh, it, it 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 deserves its status as the greatest art form, and it takes the biggest balls. Oh, seriously? <laughs> I mean, seriously, to build something that's going to be there for thirty or forty years and saying this is right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, and the biggest balls in the sense also that there's been the biggest like mistakes that have fucked society for decades mm-hmm. out of architecture because oh, yeah. architects just showed up who had balls and does, went, yeah, people are going to live this way, and it was a horrible way to live, and people did for forty years because does, some architects said that's the way we're going to fucking live. Does it include urban planning? Because I would say like urban planning and architecture Ooh. together. Yeah. Oh, sure, should be considered. Yeah, I mean, I and, I was going to leave architecture separate. Okay. Um, I have a big, I have a great affinity for Frank for Frank Lloyd Wright, which yeah. I mean, that's like that's like yeah. saying, oh, I like Babe Ruth when it comes to baseball. <laughs> like you have to be an asshole not to say you like Frank Lloyd Wright. But uh, you know, my dad and I visited the Taliesin West in Arizona, uh, where everything is designed with such care and precision to the point that you have a classroom that is recessed into the ground in the desert, and you have just these slivers of light that allow the room to be lit by the daylight sun while not overheating the space. Uh, it's just, it's brilliant to think about that. Or, or the, uh, I can't remember the name of the offices that he did in Minnesota that had the sort of lily pad columns in them, but it was a first, it was one of the first open office spaces yeah. that ever existed. It still leaks to this day. And it leaks, yeah, it totally leaks. But <laughs> but the idea that he, he, he grasped our human need for space. I mean, his buildings are in Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The it, the Los Angeles building is in there. I mean, uh, Falling Water in, I think that's also in Minnesota. Uh, brilliant. I mean, just amazing ways to incorporate what we've done into nature and vice versa to, to mm. for efficiency, but also for sort of a, a, a loving kind of... Uh, companionship mm. between the two things. He also built, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but he built um, a notable building in Tokyo, I believe, that was one of the few things standing after one of the major earthquakes. Oh, wow. Uh. Just because he had uh, harnessed the some of the traditional building styles that made buildings resilient to those kinds of catastrophes. And, 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 and sorry to, to well, oh, I'm French. I'm never sorry to shit on something. No, yeah. Sorry to shit on Frank Loretta a little yeah, bit. But, go ahead. Um, what does shitting on Frank Lloyd Wright look like? It looks like Gaudi. <laughs> Have you been to Barcelona? <laughs> Have you been to Barcelona? It is going to Barcelona, visiting um, uh, a few of Gaudi, obviously the, the Sagrada Familia. Is Gaudi and Gordi, are those, are those related terms? Like- um, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> visiting the Sagrada Familia and, the, uh, and a few other places um, will transform you as a person. Yeah. Will transform you as a person. Will transform your vision of the world and make you realize there are more p- things possible in the world. Just like living in the U.S. does to you. You know, it, it just broadens your perspective, and you go, "Another world is possible." So that is, you know, the again, n- nothing can do that quite as universally and directly and immediately and, and viscerally as ar- ar- uh, architecture can. Ar- architecture has also been the one metaphor that has allowed me to help people understand my freaking job. I mean, you know that, Simon. We do the same yeah. job. We've done the same job. Of, so well, I mean, the word ways. architecture just is everything in software yeah. has got architecture as its yeah. wonderful. And there is a famous book by New, New Ways of Building by, who the hell is that by? I can't remember. But um, the anyway, uh, architectural principles are at the heart of the evolution of software design 
right back from the very beginning. Yeah. And I'm just blanking on who, who created new ways of building. The, the best way I've been able to explain to people what I did with user experience is to tell them, listen, the difference is that uh, a mason builds walls mm-hmm. and windows and doors and, and, and you know roofs. An architect creates living space. Yeah. yeah. The thing between the walls and the windows and doors and the roof yeah. that actually makes your life what it is. Yeah, all of the and thing that you occupy the is what the architect parts. does. What yeah. an architect works on is the emptiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what an architect, the difference between an architect and a mason are. And if you get your house built by a mason without an architect coming in there, you will have walls, you will have windows, probably not many because they hate it. It's fucking pain he has to do. It you'll is. You'll have doors, you'll have a rooftop, and you will not have a living space. Yeah. And that's what, you, you, what we do with well UX. We, we, don't, we don't code your software, but we actually create your you know, your thinking space. We create the place where you can actually express yourself and do your thing. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, and, and that is the one metaphor that's worked in getting people to understand my job. Oh, yeah. Know, why you need to pay me to do, to basically tell your programmers what to do when they already think they know what to do. Right. <laughs> well, because they, they will build the thing that does the thing you want it to do. But the point of but a building. But it won't be habitable. Yeah. The point of a building is what happens between the walls. Yeah. And that. Between the walls is all of it is empty space, mm-hmm. and it's getting that empty space to work right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, architecture has been the one metaphor that's helped people understand what the hell I do, uh, because it's something that's tangible that we can all connect to and we can all you know visceral experience. Oh yeah, everybody knows the difference between you know even the most base because any any house or or structure has some sort of architectural basis to it, but but we like pornography. We know good architecture when we see it. <laughs> exactly. uh, <laughs> it's whatever gives a high court judge a hard on. Yes. Um, Christopher Alexander, a pattern language, 1977. Yes. That's the that's the text yes. of software yeah. architecture yeah. books. Yeah, yeah. I just had to get out of my system. Great totally. job on that question. Antoine, you get two points. Simon, you get one point. And, uh, We're back to European point systems. Damn, and we have, <laughs> we have a final score. Yes. The game is done. Ooh. Uh, the final score, Antoine, you have won with 1,019 points. And Simon, you had 1,018 points, so this was a very close game. Uh, brilliantly done. Uh, Antoine, is there anything you would like to plug? Is there anything I would like to plug? Yeah. Um, Something uh, you want people to know about. It can be anything. You point them to a website, uh, yeah. tell them about how great Isabel is at singing, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Three things. Uh, a Big Idea podcast, a fantastic podcast. You should listen to it. Of course, you already are. Uh, but uh, tell people about it. Um, it's, uh, it's a great thing. Thank um, you. The second things, I, two other things I'd like to plug are um, things you need to watch out for. Um, uh, Isabel Velo will um, very soon be a, a, an internationally known and, and wonderfully celebrated um, Soprano uh, opera singer, um, my daughter. Uh, she's fantastic. I love her. She's going to be great. Um, so keep an eye out, uh, and we'll uh, and, and we'll make sure that um, this um, podcast lets you know when when she's um, when there's uh, stuff to be seen about. Damn that. right we will. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, and the other thing I would like to plug, uh, I am uh, starting to devote my Fridays to the planet, and I'm going to be putting together some sort of movement slash startup slash um, community to try to uh, oh, something really simple and light like uh, fixing agriculture. Um, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just really takes like a, a, a new hoe here or there. It just takes a little bit of first principles thinking like we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but so I'm, I'm hoping um, to be able to um, 
uh, bring you some more information on that. I'm going to be asking you, because your carbon footprint sucks and is way too large and you're really fucking up the the planet and my kids and yours need it, uh, so yeah. once I have some stuff you can buy to help uh, make sure we have a planet for your kids and mine, I will make sure that it gets back to this podcast and we uh, we tell you how to buy it. Buy it Damn so. right. Yes. You yeah. let me know. Yep. We will plug it on the show. Thank you. Great. Uh, Simon, anything you'd like to plug? No, I'd like to plug Antoine's Agatech Revolution and uh, whatever it is. I never heard of it before, but uh, I'm happy. Um, How very British! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds good. <laughs> sounds quite good. Right no. on. Yeah, right I'll on. buy it. I'll make you pay. No worries. All right, I'll make you pay for Joan of Arc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank, thank you. you, listeners, for for listening to the show. Thank you guys for being guests. This has been. Uh, uh, an honor and a pleasure and uh yeah so y- y- if you guys like the show do what antoine says you know uh make sure you tell people about it tell five people also rate and review us on on uh apple podcasts that's called now or stitcher or whatever you use i don't care just make sure you say something nice and uh yeah if you want to follow us on social media we have instagram at a vague idea podcast we have twitter at a vague idea pod and we also have the uh vague idea podcast online group thing on facebook you can join that you can play pamu pom to tear online sometimes that's kind of fun that's kind of fun uh yeah so hey thank you guys so much for listening and may god have mercy on your souls bye-bye that's a new <laughs> finishing tagline there. it is yeah <laughs> a vague idea is written and produced by me nate regolia with shannon page and john peros if you like this podcast and you like anime, you should check out my podcast with Sean Grolkowski called You Better Believe This. That's found at moleholeradio.com. If you like science fiction books, you should check out the press that Sean and I started. It's called Space Boy Books, and you can find us at readspaceboy.com. <laughs>